Hello everybody, welcome to the NC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its awesome members club, where you can come and join me to grow your wealth through investments and real estate. It is totally 100% awesome. Today's podcast is all about how to find the right tenant. It's a subject that comes up a lot in my Property Investment Mastery Facebook group and it's something that we need to be concentrating on. Before we jump in with our main subject topic though, I first want to go through my favourite or my most compelling news headlines of the week. If you didn't know it yet, I've been taking part in a 30-day blog challenge where every single day for 30 days I'm going to be launching blogs on ncrealestate.co.uk. If you haven't been there yet to check it out, please go www.ncrealestate.co.uk. What this has done actually is it's forced me into looking at things in more detail and I'm really enjoying it. I get to go on Twitter a lot more, I'm making comments there, I'm following the headlines before they come out. I'm actually enjoying being this investigative journalist, it's been fantastic. There's been some really big news headlines in the property sector this week and I think we need to go through them and if you want to explore it with me in more detail then go over to my blog because that's got more of the facts and figures but I'm going to give you my bit on why I find it so interesting. So the first one is all about Mike Ashley's takeover of House of Fraser and that happened just over a week ago, the Friday before last, where the news broke that Mike Ashley, the uh, owner of Sports Direct, had bought House of Fraser and he wanted to turn that into the Harrods of the High Street. He bought House of Fraser dead cheap, £90 million and he's planning on turning it all around. Then what happened um, on Wednesday of last week, we started seeing news that Homebase were looking at closing 42 of their stores. And what's probably the most notable thing about this is the fact that actually it's really these big, big high street stores that are closing, or at least trying to consolidate. You've also got the likes of Pound Stretcher who are also having problems. If you have a look at the trend, the biggest thing that I want to know is the fact that they are the big stores. They are huge floor plates. You go in there and you can pick up loads and loads and loads of things. Um, they have their concession items. Basically, these stores want to be the all-in-one shop for that market. So if it's House of Fraser, it's clothes and accessories and fancy homewares. If it's home base, it's all your DIY needs. And if it's pound stretcher, it's for that really low cost stuff that you don't want to be paying a lot for. What I think these retailers really need to start having a look at is actually how they invite consumers into their stores. On the flip side of this, you're, we're also seeing huge amounts of news out there about Amazon and how they're taxed far too little. And if you inflate taxes for Amazon and you make them pay what they should, which I completely agree with as a side note. I think everybody should be paying the tax that um, they owe to the government. But it, the thought is that if they make Amazon pay the higher tax bill, maybe they won't be able to offer their stock at such a low price, which would give the high street a fighting chance. I don't think that this is a good way of looking at it. I think the call to action here is that the high street needs to change the way that we shop. 
no longer is it okay for us to be going shopping nine till 5.30. We're all at work at that time. No wonder you're not getting anybody through your doors. And if you've got these massive, massive retailer spaces, you're probably paying a huge amount of rent for them. Or if you've bought them, then that's a whole lot of capital where, which you could use elsewhere. So I think that actually instead of thinking, oh no, we're going to tax Amazon, why not look at what Amazon offer? Amazon offer a 24-hour platform that delivers to you really, really, really easily. So for example, for me, it's convenient to go there whenever I want. I can shop for it. Sometimes I can get same-day delivery. Other times I'm probably going to get it the next day and that is fabulous for me. In contrast to that, these big shops aren't offering that. As I said, they don't have the most flexible of opening hours. And so really during the week, they're actually only open at times when people can't really come. The other thing is, is that they are inaccessible as well to a certain extent. Homebase, for example, is out of town, retail mainly. Um, House of Fraser, not so much. Um, but it's not the shop that you would go to if you're going to a little concession store, for example. You'd probably want to go to a boutique store rather than going to a massive store with all the different departments in it. Well, that's what I like to shop anyway. If you have a look at other brands which are doing quite well, for example, have a look at Leyland's, who are a massive competitor of Homebase. And they seem to open up stores in residential areas where there are new builds going on. And they thought about that because they're like, okay, well, we don't need huge stores, but if we are a small DIY place and people who are moving into those properties are obviously going to need DIY stuff so they can hang pictures, they can do painting, you know, all of that kind of thing. And they offer those places to go, which are really, really simple. For me, in Putney, where there is huge high-rises going up, Leyland's has just opened on the Upper Richmond Road, and it is fantastic. And if they don't have the stock in there that you want, for example, I was looking for a hanging rail to build a built-in wardrobe, that's fine, I'll just order it for you and it will come in the next day. That's the kind of shopping I like. I do not want to be walking for 40 minutes to get down to home base, which is on a really busy ring road because I don't have a car accessible to me um, or easily to, to get hold of. And that's the difference. We Retailers need to be thinking about actually what do their customers want? If their customers do want those discounts and their customers want the accessibility that they can get it within 24 hours, whatever it is that they're ordering, Refunds are easy to do. They don't need to go too far out of their way. They can do it at a time that suits them. That's how the high street should be changing. And that will what, that's what will make people come shopping. So I fully believe that the mentality of retailers needs to change. It really does. Rather than making these shops that have been around for 40, 50, 60 years, these chains, or even 10 to 15 years, you know, they don't have to be open that long. But technology has changed over that time and the high street needs to keep up with that. So taking on maybe smaller stores that look really gorgeous, very Instagrammable, which make people want to go there, concept stores. And then people will go in, they'll take the pictures, they'll have a look around, they'll make other people want to go there. And you know what, if they can't get the stock, but it can be sent to them the next day, fabulous. So my plea is there from that news, if you are a retailer and you're listening to this, start thinking about the way that customers shop. Please, it isn't the same as what's been going on over the 10, 15, 20 years ago. Times have changed and you need to keep up.
Okay, so my second uh, piece of news, which really gets my goat, um, is the rising, ha rising of the housing market bubble. So news reports this week suggested that in some areas, houses are being overvalued or properties are being overvalued by 12%. And I see that again, going back to Putney where I am, I see it on a daily basis and it is so frustrating. What seems to be happening is that uh, people who are trying to sell at the moment can't fathom the fact that the property market might not be where it once was and climbing as steeply. So they are just putting their properties on the market at these overinflated prices, thinking that it, they're still going to achieve that. When they don't achieve that immediately, rather than dropping the price, they just leave it there for that one-off buyer who might come along and purchase it. Then, of course, that goes as a sale value. So that is then market value, so to speak. Another person with a similar property will then look at that and think, well, if they sold their property for that amount of money, well, surely I can sell my, my property for that amount of money too. They stick theirs on the market. And what you've got is you've got this housing market that looks like it's so expensive and it's going to start putting people off entering the market. As we know, interest rates have risen, so it's more expensive to get finance at the moment. But also the market isn't where it was. At the moment, it's going through a real slump, a period where house prices shouldn't really be going up like people think they are. And quite frankly, people can't afford that either. There is so much uncertainty around at the moment. You do not want to be buying an overpriced property. And what I think will happen is over the next couple of months, as people start to realize that they cannot sell these properties for that amount of money, the market will start coming down um, because they'll have to reduce it if they want to sell or they will take their property off the market, in which case there'll be no figures released. And I think it's actually needed. A recalibration of the market is needed because house prices can't keep going up and up and up and up forever. They can't. Sometimes there's going to have to be that period where they come down slightly because wages aren't catching up with it. And, you know, even though there's loads of people who seemingly have these high salaries in London, well, they can't afford one or two bedroom flats at the prices that they're being put on the market for. So something needs to happen. And I think that's coming soon. So my advice to you all is please be mindful of how much you're buying residential property for at the moment. In a lot of places, prices are looking sky high and you need to be thinking, actually, is this really a good price for the property? Or do you think I should sit back for a couple of months and see what happens? Alternatively, try and no negotiate yourself a really good deal. And my third piece of news is all about New, Ze New Zealand's ban on foreigners from buying into most parts of its residential property market. So it's just unveiled its overseas investment bill. So overseas investors can only buy into new apartment complexes. And apart from that, they can't be buying into the housing stock. And I find this quite interesting. The New Zealand government think that what this is going to do is it's going to stop escalating prices, in which case locals are going to be able to afford to get on the housing ladder. What they will see though, and I'm sure what they'll see over the coming months, is that this will downvalue those people who have been able to compete with the international buyers and their properties will be worth less. So maybe they will have, um, there'll be a negative equity with their mortgage provider. That's to be seen. 
But I'm interested in the fact that this could be representative of what's going to happen when Brexit hits in the UK. Now, I'm not saying that Brexit will hit and the UK government are going to stop overseas investors from buying in the UK. I don't think that will happen. It would be stupid of them to do that. But I think what will happen is when we go through Brexit, when we leave e the EU, overseas investors will be very hesitant to come and buy over here because they're not going to be sure how that's going to work going forward. And I would be in the same boat. I would leave it until I knew exactly what was happening if I was an overseas investor. And I think this will have an impact on the market. And if we follow what happens in New Zealand, we could probably see roughly what's going to happen over here if we don't have that influx of overseas investors. So whilst the fallout from that bill is yet to be seen, I think it's something that we need to be keeping our, our eye on because it could be a really good indication of what's going to happen in the UK housing market over the next 12 months. So watch this space, guys. I think there's some interesting times ahead and I'm sure um, the UK government will be keeping their eye on that as well, just to see what the fallout is. Because if it's really negative in New Zealand, then I think that the UK government should be thinking, oh, okay, well, how can we keep our housing market buoyant? So again, watch it. I think it's a developing story. I think we're going to know more about it by the end of the year as New Zealand starts publishing its end of its fourth quarter housing statistics. I think it will be interesting. So I'm keeping my eye on that closely as well. So those are my top three headlines. And I think some other headlines that we need to be aware of, for example, uh, the rise in inflation over the last 12 months, which is going to have a knock on effect in rail fares. Um, but also do house prices, have house prices gone up by that much? Have, has rent gone up by that much? It's a uh, somewhere between 2.5 and 3.2%, depending on what figures you're calculating it on. But have a think, has your rent gone up by 2.5% over the last 12 months? If it hasn't, have you got room to put that up? Start having a think about that. Again, it's something that I'm going to be monitoring over the next week. What's happening there? Why? Uh, what effect is that going to have on us or is it just going to mean that actually we lose out by 2.5% which I hope is not the case. For those of you who have got um, RPI increases in your tenancy agreements then fantastic you've got a figure um, that you can work from and I'm sure you're thinking oh phew okay great I get to put my rent up this year so keep an eye on that too. Right Let's move on into the main topic of this week's podcast, how to find the right tenant. Why am I discussing this? Well, if you haven't yet joined me over in the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group, you should. Conversation has been buzzing this week. There is so much awesomeness going on. One of the questions that I have had is from a new investor who was looking to uh, this weekend get her first tenant into the new property that she's buying and one of the questions was well actually how do I know if they're the right tenant what should I be doing in this situation and then there's been a lot of other conversations around tenants who have completely destroyed properties um, and they've stopped paying rent and how does the landlord actually get them out so we've been discussing that, but it all stems from getting the right tenant and making sure you find the right tenant because having that great tenant means that you can build that landlord and tenant relationship and from there, they should be in open conversation with you. You probably will get the rent paid on time. I mean, there's always situations where 
you think you've got the best tenant in the world and then something goes wrong but usually you'll get the rent paid on time and they'll look after the property so in my own experience finding the right tenant always starts when you're thinking about letting the property the very first thing that I always advise that you do is make sure that you price the property right. You want to be making sure that you're attracting the right sort of tenants. You don't want to be overpricing your rent. You don't want to be underpricing your rent. You want to, it to be kind of on par with what other people are offering. But what other people are offering for a really nice looking property. And, if, and this moves on to point number two. If you're looking at your property and thinking, oh, it's looking old and tired and just a bit of a miserable place, you really are going to have to start thinking about new carpets and redecoration. Having an awesome property product to put on the market will attract some lovely tenants who are prepared to pay the right rent. If you have a poor quality property and you put it on the, prop on the market at a lower rent just to attract some tenants, you're not going to get as good quality tenants. It's as simple as that. So your first two points are price the property right and also making sure that your property is lovely. It's somewhere that you would want to live. So go in there and have a look around and you might think, oh, it's so expensive to re-carpet and redecorate, but you're gonna have to do something to make it look fresh, bright and modern, even if you go in there yourself and have to redecorate it yourself. Number three is once you've got it on the market and you're getting these inquiries from tenants, you're going to need to ask questions to your potential tenants prior to even booking them into a viewing. Because what you don't want is tenants come and have a, a look around and just wasting your time because they can't afford it, they're not prepared to pay the deposit, they don't want to move in at the time that this property is available from. So you do need to ask your tenants questions before starting out. And that is as simple as, are you prepared to pay the rent that's proposed? Are you prepared to pay a deposit of X amount? The property is vacant from here. Is that around the time that you're looking to move in? And just check them out. Find out what they do as a job as well. Find out who they're looking to move in, why they're looking to move, all of those questions. It doesn't have to be a really serious checklist, checkbox exercise. You can simply have that conversation with them. And once you've had that conversation, you'll understand a bit more about the tenant, where they come from, what they're trying to do. And then you can think, oh, actually, they'd be a really good fit in this property. From there, you can then invite them to a viewing. Once they're at the viewing, you can then have a look at whether they actually suit your requirements for a tenant. You shouldn't be asking anybody to come for a viewing who you don't think is going to be necessarily right. In this situation, you're not chasing the money, you're chasing a good tenant. Good tenants will pay and they will pay you the right money. Step four is then setting expectations for yourself. Before going into the viewing, I want you to make sure that you're thinking about what sort of tenants you want and what you would accept, so what offer you would accept and what you wouldn't accept and hold those expectations close because if you don't get that from a tenant who comes to view then they're not your ideal tenant you need to make sure that what you want fits in with what they want and you will get that gut feeling anyway the minute you meet them on a viewing when they come to the viewing 
Again, have those conversations, explain what you're looking for from the tenant, they'll explain what they're looking for from you, let them have some time to wander the property on the, their own, they'll then come back and speak to you about it, ask them if they want to go and have a look around the property again. Usually it takes a couple of times just to make sure that you, they are sure that that's the kind of property that they want and also it gives you the chance to think about whether you would want them as a tenant. So make sure those expectations are written down, they're non-negotiables, that's what you want from a tenant. And then finally, step five is whilst you're on the viewing, those potential tenants may come to you and say, actually, do you know what? I'd be really interested in making an offer and moving in. What you want them to do is send you an email with the rent that they're prepared to pay, the fact that they're prepared to pay the deposit as well, and how long they would like the tenancy for and when they'd like to move in. What you need to do is ask them to, to write that email and the date they need to do that by. You can also say that you've got other interested parties and that they'll need to make sure that they do this pretty quick. This is imperative because what you're doing is you're giving them clear guidelines to follow. If they can't follow that, then you actually know that perhaps they're not as trustworthy or they don't do exactly what they say, so they might not be your ideal tenant. But if they do fall in line with that, then you can think, oh, actually, yes, I really, really like these guys and I would want them to move in. From there, it is purely cut instinct. You will know if they're going to be good, good tenants or not. And if you get that slightly dodgy feeling where you're like, oh, I'm not actually sure, then do make sure that you go away and think about it as well. You do not have to accept the first offer. You can say, oh, you know, I might have another offer coming in. Or you can simply explain that you don't necessarily know that the property would be right for them. That's absolutely fine. After all, it's your property. You need to make sure that you've got tenants going in that you really can trust and who are going to look after the place. So finding the right tenant, well, those five steps are crucial. Number one, make sure that you price the property right. Number two, make sure you provide awesome accommodation. Number three, remember to ask those questions prior to booking a viewing so that you know that they're right and from there you can invite them to the viewing. Number four, make sure you set expectations of what you are looking for from the tenant and make them non-negotiable so if the tenant can't provide that then that's fine, they're not the tenant for you. And number five, explain clearly how they can make an offer so that they can act in the right way. And that is how you will find the perfect tenant. And it really is as simple as that. And for those of you who are using letting agents, you might want to meet the tenant before they are allowed to sign any agreement so that you can also decide whether they are right for you or not. So I hope that has been really useful for you. It certainly will make you feel more confident when you're going out and doing those viewings. Don't be afraid to have conversations with people. You need to get to know them as much as they need to get to know you. And it will make you sleep so much better at night if you do that. So that's that for today's podcast. Thank you for coming over and listening to me. Remember to go over to www.ncrealestate.co.uk to check out my blog and everything else you need for growing wealth through property and investments. And from there, you can click the link to join my Property Investment Mastery Facebook group. It's been lovely speaking to you this week and I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.